The carry lost the ball. If the Broncos recover, they win. Where's on it? And the Broncos are in the playoffs. So, Don, I got a few emails and tweets from some listeners wondering if there was some heat between me and you. For what? Well, they picked up on a comment I made to Adam while you were guest hosting. Oh, and you know I, what? I didn't listen. I had to go back and listen to it <laughs> because I got a little – I was like, what? I said to Adam that we should get on to some football talk because he knew more about football than you. That, that's But fair. I didn't mean that as a – discouragement to you he knows more than fo- more about football than me too sure i just meant we have a football expert on so we should talk about football instead of whatever nonsense was before it right but the listeners picked that up <laughs> as potential heat because then we because i wasn't on the show you weren't on the show that we didn't right. do the show last week okay we did it this week so uh we had a squel i had to squelch some sportscasters rumors that there was some heat brewing yeah there's no heat None, none that I know of. No. It'd be difficult for us to have heat, I think. Yeah, yeah, it'd be weird. Yeah. Uh, with that said, I was also talking about you behind your back the other day. Uh, <laughs> Where's that? You had won. I was in two fantasy leagues with you this year, and you won them both. I know, right? And I ran them both, too, so I, I probably cheated. Right. But I was asking, or someone was asking me, you know, oh, you know, what is it about Don that – you know, why do you have such a good year or whatever? And I said, well, I don't know that he's the best drafter, but he's he's fine at that. So, but I think what makes him a good player is his relentlessness Okay, as a fantasy football player. I make a lot of moves. You're always in front of your teams and adjusting them. Right. And I think that fantasy football is starting to favor a player like that. Well. My strength might be as an early strategist, as a – drafter i always feel like i drafted one of the best teams and usually mm-hmm. when sites will analyze that they'll sort of agree with me okay but i don't get as invested or i don't have the patience to then care for the team at the level that you do throughout the season i almost get stubborn that those moves that i thought were brilliant in august still should be they still should be and that's right. where i fall off whereas that's an interesting take because there's another player in our league, and I know you'll know who exactly who I'm talking about. Who drafted? I don't. I don't want to criticize the way she drafted, but she drafted a good. What turned into be, what turned out to be a great team, but that then just faded. Didn't adjust and right. had a bunch no of adjust, injuries, yeah. right? And then she fell off. I mean, she had the best team in the league, fell off, and then I think she ended up lose, like taking fourth or something. So that that's interesting. That's the other end of it. She drafted well. I yeah, guess. she did a great job uh, and started started great, you know. And I think in that particular league, I did make some decent adjustments, uh, and it showed with the way my team finished, um, winning the the prize for all the toilets. <laughs> yes. uh, but um, not quite enough. Not not soon enough. Maybe I was stubborn. Maybe for too long. Maybe in retrospect, when we had that long discussion about a trade, I should have just pulled the trigger. Um, with you instead of not. Maybe that would have helped. Maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. I think early on you would have dominated that trade. And then it, it involved Gurley. 
and I needed a receiver, and I I don't remember who else I wanted back to. Yeah, I think we were going to do Gurley for Jones was kind of the starting point. Right. But at the time, Gurley really hadn't been on the field, so it wasn't really even yet. Right. And we couldn't find a way to balance it. That's right. Because also Jones was on kind of a run. Right. Yeah, James Jones. James Jones, yeah. So, But, no, I think that that is – I think that the way the game is evolving with the injuries and um, – just the things that happened during the season that maybe didn't say ten years ago, it's starting to favor you as a player, uh, I, just because of the way you're willing to adjust. Yeah, I like and to tinker. How much you tinker with it? The one know? thing I will look at at the end of the year, uh, we I use ESPN for my older league. Um, is you can go into like your transactions and it'll show you like trades that got turned down. Boy, do I get lucky sometimes that people shoot my trades out. I think everyone thinks that if I offer them a trade, I'm trying to rip them off. Right. And a lot of times, like, the best thing that happened to me all year is that someone turned down a trade I sent them. Because I get panicky, too. That That's where I would probably be bad, is I, I tend to probably over-tinker. Well, I think it comes down to every year you're going to be the same player. And if your tinkers are the right tinkers, sure. you're probably going to win. Yep. If you tinker in the wrong way... It could turn your season. Yeah, I probably make just as many. And this moves. year, you rolled the dice and you got sevens in two leagues. Right. Yeah, I, I probably make just as many moves in a league when I win it as when I lose it. It's not like I adjust strategy a whole lot. But anyway, uh, it is season five, episode forty-one, the season finale of maybe the best season of the sportscasters ever. I don't know. Fullest. Uh, it is December 29th, two thousand fifteen. We were going to do this last week. Just before Christmas Eve. Instead, we're doing it just before New Year's Eve. Just worked out better schedule-wise for us. I think we're going to take off next week still. Okay. And then we'll return with Season 6 the second week of January. Second Tuesday of January will be our season premiere of Season 6. Give me a little bit more time uh, to book it. A different show today. Uh, Instead of... uh, We're going to find out if we can carry a show, Don. (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. What we're going to do is we're going to do three things uh, so you have a little bit of new content, unique content on this podcast. Uh, Then after that, there isn't a guest today. Instead, Don and I are going to do a season five review uh, segment. We're going to go over the season, talk about the guests. We're going to play some clips. uh, And then we're going to come back and end the show with three things. Uh, So really, it's just sort of a a season five uh, retrospective. And uh, also we'll mix in some some new content that we'll start right now with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. Alrighty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, Don, so money on the table right now. Everything you won in fantasy this week. Okay. Would you bet it on yay or nay for the Peyton Manning HGH allegations? Oh, boy. I, I'd i have to say no. He's kind of I'd reacting the no. way you'd want a human to react if they were falsely accused, right? Oops, I turned the music all the way down. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of times... He's mad. He's Yeah, guys don't get out in front of it, and they just kind of avoid it, and... Yeah, he's he's upset. It sure does sound like his wife used the HGH for uh, fertility, which is why he's being sort of guarded about it. Okay. I right. mean, there's a long kind of known that that could be a secret weapon 
in this in the process of uh, you know having trying to kids. get pregnant and have sure. kids. Um, so if it was sent to her, I'm sure that's why. Plus, and like if you're, you're trying to trick the league, yeah, and use HGH, do you really get it sent to your house under your wife's name? <laughs> and why wouldn't you get it sent to you know some guy in Georgia? Under Plus, the name like what, of Bill. What evidence is there of it? I There's mean, none. Just some intern says it. But I mean, as far as like his play goes, as far as... Well, he came back from that neck surgery. Is the, sure. Is yeah, and he had a evidence. great... Right. Yeah. He had a great season two seasons ago. He had a maybe one of the best seasons in history of quarterback. Right? right. But I don't think anyone is... I think the way that the perception would be that he used it to enhance performance is just to get back on the field. Not to be better once he got back, but to get better as a tool of recovery. Now, has there been any discussion on why that's an issue? Like, why is that a problem? Does it affect the guys in the long term? If they're just doing it to get healthy faster? I've heard, uh, is it okay to get, like, shot up with stem cells near the surgery sites and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, I don't know. I think the, I don't know. I, I don't know why some things are okay and some things aren't. I, I honestly don't know. I, I'm okay with players. Or, like, blood transfusions or yeah, things I'm, like that. I, I'm okay I with players getting back onto the field. So long as it's not like a concussion thing where we're not going to have CTE You know, almost trials. to the point where we all know the risks at this point, and men should just be able to make the decision that men want to make. Sure. I don't know why the league needs to protect players from players anymore. Everyone knows the risks, right? There's no gray area about what concussions can do to the human body anymore. Right. I mean, is any player in 2015 going to win a, a lawsuit against the league saying that they didn't know the risks of concussions? No, I would think not. And you've got guys like Ben Roethlisberger doing the right thing when they get hurt. And the whole thing is, into it, I mean, so. the whole thing is a joke when they do and when they don't. The Saints and the Panthers had a game a few weeks ago. Yeah. And um, Cam Newton got a blasted in the head. Just blasted. But wasn't flagged because he was technically a runner at the time. Wasn't okay. a legal hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was down, kind of shaky for a minute. Uh, they went off. After he played the next like two plays and the drive ended, and then he ran into the locker room allegedly to use the bathroom and came back. He never went into concussion protocol at all. Okay, but of course that would be an example of a play where an independent neurologist in the booth might request it. Yeah, and like and a similar thing happened to Marcus Colston. Like I see it happen all the time where it's like, okay, that they should obviously. I want to say it was the Cardinals, or no, it was the Rams that faced some scrutiny for this, right? Yeah, over uh, the quarterback, quarterback. Case yeah. Keenum. But, like, in my opinion, forget all that nonsense. Get rid of all the independent people. Everyone knows the risks. Okay? Yeah. And that's that. If the guy wants to go back in, then he goes back in. He's an adult. That's just my opinion. I don't know. But I don't think Peyton Manning really did HGH either. I think it's sort of a reckless claim. It's not exactly the organization that I'd turn to for sports news. Uh, right. But uh, we'll have to just, I guess, see. I I don't rush to, rush to judgment. In other instances, I wouldn't do it here. So I'm yeah. taking a wait-and-see approach with a not-likely uh, initial reaction. And this report comes from two years ago? I know you just said it's an intern. Yeah, I guess... And there's also a debate over when he worked there, because oh, okay. the claim that you know this happened prior to his 2012 season, sure. and his internship wasn't until 2013 allegedly. So there's some gray areas to when he was even with the company. He was never employed by them; just a three month intern. It's weird. Not that I'm someone that's like, I mean, because it sounds like a meathead mentality to say like 
why is this guy being a tattletale or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, where does this come from now? Like, why now? Why? I guess this this organization, Al, uh, he just wanted to do a documentary. And uh, this is part of their investigation. Yeah. So one person they could probably get on camera to try to throw some shit down on Peyton Manning. Yeah, I'm sure it's just a matter of, I mean, selling tickets or whatever, selling DVDs. So the Panthers lost. Yeah. They won't go undefeated. Do you think that that in the long term, that's maybe a good thing for the Panthers? Yeah, but they had really been sloppy. I mean, they just escaped New Orleans, giving over 35 points up, just escaped the Giants, almost blowing a 28 point lead. You know, and then they lose to Atlanta, who's beaten nobody since starting 5 0. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, – it probably does help. I mean, maybe it gets them focused. I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of cliches you could throw around here. Some teams, like, need to lose to know how to win type thing. But uh, it does – it's bad for football in that it brings on the worst tradition in all of sports, which is the stupid Dolphins popping cork. Although they really didn't weren't as obnoxious yeah, this year because it. of Shula connection. You know, oh, okay. Don Shula's son is the offensive oh, coordinator. Oh, right, right. And uh, they actually had a picture, I don't know if you've seen it, of Don and his family dabbing uh, or whatever uh, before the game. Okay. Great. So I would rather not have an arm than dab personally. But. <laughs> uh, so the Panthers lost, so watch that. Did you catch the controversy with the wife of a Dolphins player who blasted Was it Grimes? Ryan Tannehill? Grimes? Grimes? Yeah. Listen to these Three tweets here from Miko Grimes, who you may remember her from being arrested in the parking lot earlier in the season. My column, how many people does Ryan Tannehill have to get fired before you realize he's the problem? Wow. Tweet two, I knew this QB stunk the minute we signed to this team, but I tried to keep quiet so I didn't discourage Bay from believing in his team. And tweet three, in conclusion, the triple A's have an agenda. Destroy the defense and make everything look like Tannehill is not the problem. Got it. Um, geez, oh, I don't know. Why would the organization's agenda be to suck so that, <laughs> but suck in a way that it's not Ryan Tannehill's problem? I'm looking for a salary cap website to see what Brent Grimes' contract situation is. He's got to be a free agent, right? Like his wife can't be bad mouthing the team and the organization if he's got a, like a long-term contract. I know he's 32. That's the there, I guess there was more. It says that, again, these were the tame tweets. In a blog post describing a personal confrontation with Miko Grimes and humorously detailing the inaccuracies of her accusations, uh, someone wrote, in a tweet Sunday evening, Mrs. Grimes suggested the three reporters have intercourse with Magic Johnson's sexual organ. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and it says he's due $9.5 million next season and $8.5 million in 2008. He's the third highest paid member of the Dolphins defense between... 2018? Uh, or 2008, did that say? He's due $9.5 million next season and another $8.5 million in 2017. 17, okay. Brent Grimes is the third highest paid member of the Dolphins defense behind, behind Ndamukong Sue and Cameron Wake. Wow. Considering the Dolphins are the five worst team in every defensive category, Miko Grimes isn't making any easier on her husband if he hopes to avoid being among the roster cuts this summer. Yeah, she knows if they get cut, they don't get paid, right? 
I mean, he's got a signing bonus of $1.5 million, but he's, like you said, he's making almost eight, nine million. You might as well. Look, I, I saw that the problem with this is essentially you have an NFL team trying to kind of like take away the First Amendment rights of a player. No, I, I don't think anyone's going to take her right no, away I, to tweet, but. Sure. And she's got to be aware. But I'm sure that's not going to go well for her. I'm sure, like, and her husband, Brent. You got to talk to your lady. Uh, yeah, it's not a good look, and like you said, it's the second time she's been a problem. So I don't know. Maybe so their, maybe their time in Miami is done. We go into the last week of the NFL season with not a whole lot left to be uh, decided. Actually, every team that's in the playoffs has been decided in the NFC. Uh, the Panthers and Cardinals. Seahawks, Packers, Vikings, and Redskins are all going to make it. Uh, they'll play for seeding. The Redskins are really the only team that gets to rest players uh, because they're going to be the fourth <laughs> seed no matter what. So the eight and seven Redskins can take week 17 off while everyone else battles for playoff seeding. Yeah, I know we talk about this every year, but that, that's a great example of how. Why not? Ju- look, at, if you're going to have divisions, they have to mean something. So, of course, award a playoff spot. But why not rank the playoff teams one to six regardless of. Right. Who won what? I don't get that. Uh, the Steelers lost to the Ravens for the second time this year. Uh, the Ravens don't have many wins. But they have two against the Steelers. And it might keep the Steelers out of the playoffs uh, as they need to win and have the Jets lose to get in. Yeah, the stupid Jets can be 11-5. and five. So the Bills have a chance to play to spoil. So does Rex. Yeah. chance to spoil... Spoil the sauce of the other team. The Steelers play the Browns. You'd think they win. Browns have another week of distraction on yet another Johnny Manziel video that leaked. Are you serious? I did not yeah, hear about that. Yeah, it's Christmas Eve partying video, I guess. Good. Good. Uh, and the Colts have a 10-team parlay uh, that team number one cashed in last night. Uh, they need to win. They need the Texans to lose. And then they still need seven other results. Really? So that their strength of schedule... Oh, would be high enough to win the tiebreaker. So the Colts wow. need a 10-team miracle. Uh, sort of like Yale hockey last year, maybe. <laughs> All right, second thing this week, the college football playoffs. I mean, you don't want the Colts to make it in anyway, though, right? No. I mean, Andrew Luck's not playing, or would he be back by then? I have no idea. I'd rather watch Houston play. It would be fun to see the, the Hard Knocks team yeah. in there, too. So uh, The college football playoffs are this week. Will you watch them, Don? I, I told you before, I usually watch the national championship game. Okay, um, so no to the the semifinals. If I know they're on, then probably. <laughs> so <laughs> if I'm looking for it, then yes. If I, There's a decent chance that I forget about it. Well, I think college football wants to know, not if Don will watch, but will America watch? Because obviously this is the first year right. that they're being played on New Year's Eve. And the reason for this... Oh, is, that's right. We talked the reason for that. this is basically so that the Rose Bowl doesn't have to be inconvenienced. The Rose Bowl is so entrenched in the cronyism of the college football politics that they get New Year's Day at 5 o'clock unimpeded no matter what. Which who is playing in the Rose Bowl? Stanford and Iowa, I think. Okay. So they're both top 10 teams. The two teams who probably just missed. Okay, right. Uh, look at it. It's ridiculous. It sucks for me. I want to just sit and watch, but I'm going to dinner. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, I got I can't be just on the couch all day on New Year's Eve. Uh, I'll get it to as much as I can, but not all of it. 
and we're doing this to protect the Rose Bowl. It's ridiculous. Uh, and they're they're shouting about how they want to start a new tradition, but it won't be a tradition on years the Rose Bowl has a playoff game because then it'll revert back to New Year's Day again. Okay, right. Because the Rose Bowl is not moving. So if the Rose Bowl has one of the playoff games, the playoff is on New Year's Day. So how are you trying to start a new tradition? If that tradition is going to change every time New Year's Day comes so, around. So the Rose Bowl is on New Year's Day this year also. Every year, the Rose, Rose Bowl, Bowl is on New Year's, on New Year's Day. Day at 5 o'clock. How ridiculous is it that the two most important games are played and then there's a game that's essentially an exhibition? I mean, I know it's a bowl. Oh, there's all kinds of bowls actually, in between that and the pro, uh, the the. National Championship game. That's so You know, the Rose Bowl, so the Sugar silly. Bowl, all those are. I after. saw you on a Twitter conversation. They're expanding the bowls, too. They need more bowls. They added two last year, and I guess they're adding one next year. They don't wow. even have enough bowl-eligible wow. teams this year. Yeah, because there's like a 5-8 and eight team. I think there was three of them. That's that's unreal. And who, who does it benefit? Like, who's making just money the, off these? Probably just the sponsors. I, I don't know. I mean, are they all getting TV time? Like, this 5-8 and eight team bowl, is that going to be on... Yeah, of course. They're all on TV. Really? That's insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing about the playoffs. You know, today was the day that Joe Mixon had to face the press for the first time. So I don't know if you remember, but Joe Mixon is the Oklahoma running back who was suspended last season for punching a girl in the face in a bar fight. Okay, yeah. Uh, Mixon was protected by OU all year because they could control the media. Well, in the playoffs, there's a media day similar oh, to the wow. Super Bowl. Wow. And Joe Mixon had to face press today wow now it was a circus uh OU let people know ahead of time that he'd only be taking football questions yeah, and then they even told reporters that they would be escorted away from him uh if they pushed the button uh one reporter asked joe if he had learned anything during his suspension and he said that he would only ask her football questions and the reporter said well that is a football question why can't he say what he learned about football. Right. And there was actually an associate PR man standing there for the team who said, okay, he can answer that if he feels comfortable. And he deflected the question for whatever reason. Wow. So the whole thing was a charade and a circus. And even the AD of the program stood in front of the press and said his opinion on it doesn't matter. He's like the most po- powerful guy in the school, one of the most powerful guys in the nation, but he doesn't think his opinion on the Joe Mixon matter is relevant. I, I enjoy watching college football. Like, if it's on... There's a lot of exciting games, and the play is different. and like There's a lot more big plays because not everyone's awesome like in the NFL. But it's disgusting. Like The NCAA is a pretty gross organization. So now Ryan Aber debuted last week from the Oklahoman, our last show. Okay. And we talked about the video in this case, which Ryan had the chance to look at. There was a screening for the media okay. of the video. And he described it as horrific. Every bit as horrific as, say, the Ray Rice one. Okay. Now, that video, the case settled two days before a law that would have forced the video to be released went into effect. Okay. You want me to say that again? Yeah, the case settled two days. The case settled two days before a law that would have made the video public went into effect, which I don't think was a coincidence. No, it doesn't sound like it. Then... They returned the video to the bar, who then shredded the video. Wow. Was there a copy? Well, of course, there could be further litigation. So the DA did make a copy for that purpose and that purpose only. 
And again, this video is not subject to the law because of the timing. This is the stuff that happened. This is why but one like, day this video is going to get out. But this is why, like the Joe Paterno talk. I mean, not that Paterno was necessarily the cause of the problem. I mean, everyone knows that story. But uh, it's so weird how big the NCAA. It's it's like a like a mafia. Type. Yeah, and, and Deadspin. I had a laugh. Deadspin said. Hey, if you feel like this video needs to be seen and you have a copy of it, let us know. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, Deadspin. You're just uh, the moral compass of America. It's, hey, if people think that it needs to be seen, you know, send it our way. Yeah. Uh, one last thing today, third thing. The Yankees could be in a similar situation. As they made a trade for a closer. Jeez, uh, I'm going to blow his name, but it's our oldest Chapman. Okay. Uh, and he's a flamethrower for the Reds, an all-star closer, one of the top in the league. Well, and why, he, why did the Reds give him up? The Reds gave him up because he's in the midst of a potential domestic violence issue. Oh, Jesus. Um, that, that's why I'm on the show, I think, is to ask the dumb questions the like Yankees, that. That's the obvious answer. The Yankees overlooked concerns about an ugly do- domestic violence incident that could lead to a long suspension. And are banking on the success of a bullpen that already includes ace relievers Andrew Miller uh, and others. Um, Chapman, he's 27. He's the hardest throwing pitcher in baseball history. Oh, wow. He regularly tops 100 miles an hour. Uh, he's racked up 145 saves in the last four seasons. Um, so Cincinnati, a team that can't probably... That's hedging it too much. That cannot attract players the likes that the Yankees can decided that morally we can't have this guy on the team. The I don't Yankees know if they decided team. that, but they certainly gave him up for probably less than you would expect him really? to return. Well, Four I mean, prospects, but none that are considered the Yankees' top five. Okay. I mean, I guess the Yankees probably knew. This Jeff Passan says, it's far from the sort of haul expected for Chapman, who could reach free agency after the 2016 season. His status depends on the length of the suspension, which could potentially cut into his service time. Uh, Major League Baseball is going to continue to investigate the case in which Chapman was neither arrested nor charged with a crime. Oh, well, maybe that's... He admitted to police he fired eight gunshots in his garage after an argument with his girlfriend okay. in which she alleged he choked her. Okay. Um, multiple executives in the immediate aftermath of the port deemed Chapman toxic. Uh, the Yankees disagreed, and their acquisition of Hill... Monday obviously opened them up to a handful of opinions. And this is mostly from Jeff Passan, our friend okay, yeah. on Yahoo. Uh, so it's amazing how, I mean, you go back to the Ray Rice thing and then even to maybe a lesser extent, the Adrian Peterson thing. And it was all about like zero tolerance. I know it's a different league, but I mean, that stuff was everywhere. Well, let's it? say you have a fight with your wife uh-huh. in the house and it's just a, uh, Shouting match. Sure. Yelling back and forth. Sure. And you're pissed. Right. And you go out in the garage and you shoot your gun okay. nine times at the wall. Okay. Or at a pillow. Sure. Right? And in the meantime, she calls the police and she f- is mad and says you choked her even though that didn't happen. Okay. Let's just say that this is the circumstances. Are you any less employable? The firing the gun and admitting the firing the gun shows you... 
That's your way of just yeah, relieving pressure. Didn't it doesn't hurt anyone? It's in an empty garage and a pillow. Is that legal even? To I'm sure if he's a registered gun owner. Yeah, I mean, you probably need like a special girl. I, mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what this specific law. Let's just say it's not against the law to fire your to fire this gun at a pillow. Yeah, I mean, if she's lying, I mean, I take it they're not together anymore. I think they are, but I'm not really? positive. But wow, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, this goes back to the Pat Kane thing. I mean, and, and again, it's like to me, it's like let's say this guy walked away from a situation that could have been violent. Sure. And to avoid the violence and to pull off some steam, he shot his gun. Okay. Do we really need to consider that player toxic? Why aren't we like? But why did the? Why aren't the actions like the actions of walking away from the incident and blowing off steam? In but who a, deemed them way? to be toxic? I mean, I guess the Reds did, and I guess the people who are calling this trade inappropriate are. Okay. I thought they said. I, I must have misheard. I thought you said somebody like close to the situation said he was toxic i thought i don't i didn't know if it was like well, i don't know if anyone used the word toxic quote unquote right. i'm just reading the tea leaves here hmm. yeah i mean why does i mean it why it, does pat kane get booed in buffalo now it hurt why i don't know just because like Did he after the limo driver thing too i don't no. remember yeah yeah i don't know the sabers fans boo ovechkin too. is Vander kane gonna be booed now there's no reason for that if let's just say it, it's a similar result, we, we don't know the the we are far from knowing the result of that case. Right, I don't think. Let's say it's thing, the no, same as Patrick Kane. I don't think Kane. any charges have been filed. Or right, so let's say it stays that way, the way Kane's did. My Do we have to look down no. at these guys now? Does every allegation that's made, okay, against an athlete, every time an allegation's made, we immediately view it as a fact? There's no right. Forever, people are going to say Peyton Manning was a cheater now. Forever, people say that Tom Brady's a cheater. Whatever the allegation is made is immediately accepted as fact now. And no matter what the due process results in, we're always going back to somebody out there saying, nope, this happened. I guess with this one, because there's a measurable like consequence, the Reds, who are closer to it than anybody, deemed him... Willing, willing to give up on this kid. It sounds like a. Star. Or the red said, "Look, it. We only have so much to spend. We can't risk." Well, yeah, that's sticking happens. by him. That stuff happens every year to too. see what happens because right. we can't have money tied up in him. That's dead money. You know, I don't think the Reds by trading him are saying that he did it. They're just saying that they can't afford to stay around. And wait to see if he did it. Yeah, I don't know. It just well, why, why? It's a bigger thing about the culture in general that bothers me. Why has any allegation else? means there was other teams? The Dodgers were also okay trying to make a trade that fell short. Hmm. Um, this is a guy who makes a lot of money. Yeah, and only so many teams are going to be willing to tie up that money uh, in the event that it could be dead money while he's suspended. If for some reason charges were filed or whatever. Right. How long ago did this happen? Not that long ago. I think it's considered an ongoing investigation still. I don't think he's been cleared in the sense of the way Pat Kane was. They moved him quick. I mean, yeah, I guess 
if if you try to get ahead of it thinking he's guilty or worrying that he may be found guilty, then you have to trade him now because once he's found guilty, he has zero trade value. Um, right, you're stuck then. Because I imagine he right. faces a suspension of some sort. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. If you're If you're a public figure now and anyone, no matter what their credibility, makes a claim about you, it's fact. But the, it's fact to some people, regardless of what happens. The wife, though, huh? Or the girlfriend? Oh, I don't know for sure. Yeah, because that would be weird. I don't have a copy of the divorce filings in right. Ohio right now. But all right, we're going to take a break, and we will come back, and we will review season five of the Sportscasters. <laughs> All right. Season five of the Sportscasters. How many guests do you think we had on season five, Don? Unique guests. Unique guests. Uh, let's see. We usually do two to three a show. We have, this is show what? 40 41. Something, 41. Uh, those weren't all unique, I'm sure. Let's say 80. Uh, no, that's too high. Let's say 60. 63 guests. 63 individuals wow. appeared on the show. Uh, we had people appearing on the show for the first time in the season through show 17. So we didn't repeat a guest until the 18th show. All right, that's a good run. So the first 17 shows included different people. We had one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. This is like a uh, Mike Francesa bit here. <laughs> uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 people debut. Wow. 20 people made their first appearance on the podcast today, this year, including Anthony Cumia, right. uh, Joe Buck. Uh, we also, for the first time, had a documentary. In the book club. Right. And Gabe Polsky debuted. Also, for the first time, we had a CD in the uh, book club. And Don Jameson debuted as part of that. Um, Joe Poznanski uh, was in for his third ever appearance this year. Uh, what else do we have? Uh, who else debuted? Uh, Mark Simon from Sports Illustrated debuted. Uh, Kevin Lieber from YouTube. Vsauce too. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Debuted. Fredonia guy. Yeah, Fredonia guy. Uh, Lana Barry. Yep. Not to be confused with Lana from WWE fame. Uh, Molly, she debuted. Molly Knight. Right? Yeah, we're gonna yeah. get to Molly. Uh, Eddie Trunk debuted yep. uh, for the first time. So a lot of debuts. And I thought it'd be cool because uh, everyone does clip shows, and right. we've never really done a clip show. That requires editing. Yeah, we've we have, uh, and it took me a while. Uh, we have. Um, Done, like uh, repeated interviews, you know, like played them again. Okay, uh, over the years, but we've never done something like this. So we'll see how it goes. Fade out, Billy. There, <laughs> uh, and the first clip is the season five premiere. It was last January, and it debuted with Tom Verducci, uh, who, at the time, I asked him to be on for two reasons. One, uh, he wrote the Sportsman of the Year. 
uh, column for SI last year. Okay. Uh, Madison Bumgardner was the Sportsman of the Year last year. And it also was just a few months after he had debuted calling the World Series. Uh, and I asked him about calling his first World Series in this clip. Now, it's sort of interesting because just last week it was announced that he'll no longer be calling the World Series as Harold Reynolds and Tom Verducci were Demoted, reassigned. Kind of, yeah. Yep. And John Smoltz will now call the World Series with Joe Buck. Oh, Smoltz is good. Which, which uh, by the way, is what when this announcement was made and Richard Deitch came out to talk about it, I said, why didn't they just hire John Smoltz? Yeah. Um, but here is Tom Verducci uh, talking about calling his first World Series. Standing up in the booth. And, you know, because you knew you were watching something historic. It was almost, you know, you stand when you hear the national anthem. You, you stand in church. You know, you stand when a funeral procession goes by. And you stand when the World Series comes down to one confrontation between batter and pitcher. I just remember standing up and saying, okay, here it is. And at that point, I became as much of a fan as anybody else, just totally invested in what is going to happen next. Do you remember what your first SI cover was? Uh, yeah, it was actually the first story that I wrote for the magazine. It was about Dwight Gooden in 1993, spring training with the New York Mets. So Verducci talked about how calling the World Series kind of made him a fan like everyone else, which I thought was pretty cool. Sure, yeah. And then in the clip there, he went on to talk about how his first uh, cover story was about Doc Gooden, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, one year or so before Doc Gooden would star in a World Series and win one with the Mets. Uh, so that was pretty much in January. Um, in March, uh, end of February, early March, we had one of the cooler debuts in sportscasters history when Anthony Cumia was on the show. Um, and... Anthony Cumia has again been in the news recently, uh, having been arrested. I did not hear this. Yeah, he was arrested for an alleged domestic violence incident at the compound. Oh, no. Which Anthony vehemently denies. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a lot of, I guess, social media evidence uh, that the girl was planning to try to cash in on her relationship with Anthony. Oh, really? So there is so far... Not exactly a rush to judgment on Anthony because there is this other evidence, including a fake video of the girl pretending Anthony hits him on Periscope. She's like, don't hit me anymore. And then she like moves the camera to make it look like he's hit. But then the camera moves back and Anthony's on the other side of the room. I don't know. I don't want to get into whether or not Anthony committed domestic violence. But long before that, he was on the rebound from being fired uh, from being part of the Open Anthony show. And on this clip... He looks back at 20 years of ONA. Hopefully it's not real out again. Uh, just the, the longevity alone is pretty amazing. Uh, we've seen so many shows, shows that had, you know, gotten pretty popular, just, you know, gone by the wayside after a few years. And to keep it going and uh, keep that name recognition and popularity and fan base going for 20 years was pretty amazing. And, uh, I was always really happy and, and, and proud of what we had built up and how, you know, I knew I was going in there on a daily basis um, to just talk and talk about anything and, and to be able to hold someone's interest with a story or entertain somebody or make somebody laugh uh, with a, a ridiculous true story from my life. Uh, those moments are, uh, you know, they stand out as the ones I'm, I'm pretty proud of because, uh, as things are happening, especially when you're a kid, 
to think that at some point those would become memorable stories that other people would know about is crazy. You, you couldn't even fathom it. Uh, so to be able to uh, talk to people over the radio and really get that image in their minds as to what you went through or uh, what was happening at a certain point in my life and people finding it entertaining, that always sticks with me as something I could be pretty proud of. Do you ever think Anthony Cumia would be on the show, Don? No. And actually, even listening to the interview uh, for the when I first listened to it, I thought, well, he agreed to come on, but he doesn't sound all that into being on. But it's one of those interviews that I think certain people come on here a little guarded, maybe not knowing you for the first time. And then by the end of it, and he was no different. By the end of it, he seemed really into it. It was cool. In the spring, uh, Linda Cohn made her debut on the show. Uh, and it was actually on the day that she set a record for hosting her 300th uh, Sports Center. Oh, wow. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Cool day for her. And it was actually just a few days after the draft, after the Sabres had drafted Jack Eichel. And oh, right. she had done a sit-down, yeah. a one-on-one sit-down uh, with Jack at the draft for ESPN, the only one-on-one sit-down. Uh, and here's Linda Cohn talking about Jack Eichel. Let's first talk about Jack Eichel. Um, the Hobie Baker Award winner, uh, the guy knows where the net is. He um, he will end up being the face of the Buffalo Sabres franchise. I truly believe that. His tremendous leadership. He's only 18. Um, obviously, he's going to make the team right away. If Dan Bosma is smart, he'll put him right on the power play. I mean, I would throw him in there in every situation where his talents can be um, just shine. And that's what Jack Eichel is going to do. He's a level-headed kid, and he's a smart kid. Both of them are. Um, both centers, of course, Connor McDavid. So she goes on to talk a little bit about Connor McDavid. I don't know if you want to hear that, Don. I really don't. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, it was really cool to have Linda on talking about Jack. And, of course, Dan Bilesma has been smart and uh, has put Eichel out on the power play and in all situations. And I don't think uh, he's disappointed at all. No. Uh, he's been a... An unbelievable star for us so far, and I only see MVPs and scoring trophies in his future. Uh, later on in the year, Molly Knight debuted. Uh, one of my favorite books in the book club all year was her book, uh, The Best Team Money Can Buy. Uh, and Molly came in to talk about going to L.A. Uh, from New York, uh, where she had grown up, uh, to work on this project. I mean, for sure. Part of it was, you know, I was a cub reporter. I was, I was like 25 or six at that point, and um, I, I could go like crash with my sister indefinitely. You know, like I was trying to find, I, I and I was willing to do that because I was hungry. I was trying to find my own, um, my, forge my own path. And I had been telling them for a long time, like, no, you don't understand. Like, I, I know people in LA who know these people, who know the McCourts. And they, everybody says how crazy they are. Like, this is not going to be settled. Because everyone's like, oh, they'll settle it. It's never, that never happens, right? Like, like this guy, if he can just settle it and pay his wife off, he can keep the team. So, of course, he's going to settle it. But people didn't understand that they were crazy. And that, like, they wanted to fight to the, fight to the death. Even if that they both lost. Um, and, and so, I was definitely, like, pitching that story to my editors. And then um, they were kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm all with another Dodger pitch, whatever. <laughs> and then as it got, as it, as it started started becoming more national news, they were like, oh, okay, well, if you want to go out there, like, we, we, we want to, you know, you can write stories for 
dot uh, com every day, and like I just jumped at it and I did it, and that's you're exactly right. I wouldn't have um, I wouldn't have been the person assigned to it if it weren't the Dodgers, and also um, you know I, I wouldn't have been able to to um, you know go crash with my relatives and do it. Molly Knight has a great book about the Dodgers. It's definitely worth your time, and is one of the better better books of the year. We kind of ended the year, Don, uh, with one of the bigger debuts in the history of the sportscasters and Joe Buck. And it's definitely an interview that's been really well received. I talked to a few people who have told me their perception of Joe Buck sure. has changed since listening to the interview. You said the show uh, that he did with do us. Do the same for him. His show. Yeah, oh, his show, Undeniable, is worth every second of your time if you have DirecTV and have a chance to see it. And, of course, being that it is my show, at times I will be slightly selfish. And I asked uh, Joe Buck to share a story of covering the Saints and Vikings NFC Championship game in 2010, and not only did he share a story, but he dropped a name. Kate Hudson, let's listen. That was really one of the most fun uh, NFC Champ games that I've been able to do. To be honest with you, um, I've done a bunch of them, and you know, every one is is special and unique uh, for its own reasons. But that was one where, uh, God, I've never even gone into this story, but at least with regard to the game, the game was fantastic, and you play the highlight of the Hartley right kick to send the Saints to the Super Bowl and rarely do you get kind of that walk-off moment in an NFL game you get it you know more times than not in baseball um, you're lucky to get it if you get it at all in the postseason when one base hit or one home run or one strikeout ends the whole thing uh, but in football if you're going to get a walk-off moment probably going to get it from a kicker and so there we were getting that uh, from Hartley, and, and those are moments where, you know, everybody's holding their breath, whether it's you as a fan uh, recuperating or it's me in the booth, you know, just hoping to get the call right and, and just making sure that everything is laid out in front of me and, and I'm, I've got it square in my head with regard to which way I'm going to go with the call and, you know, try to make the call. They're at home, so the place is going to go nuts, and you can just kind of give the call and get out of the way and let mayhem ensue. But right, and you so did the, it's great. I just want to interject. Go, go yeah, you set it up perfectly, too, mentioning how Hartley had missed just a few weeks ago from almost an identical spot um, against Tampa Bay. You guys, I didn't play, I didn't go back that far in the clip, but you guys had just set up perfectly. I think the one thing that was making me and Coach Payton and anyone else nervous in the Superdome, everyone probably that day, was that Garrett Hartley had just missed – um, against Tampa Bay in the regular season, uh, which would have clinched home field. Uh, the Bucks lost later that night to Carolina and clinched anyway. Uh, but, yeah, you had set that up perfectly, so go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, they, so now you get the snap, you get the good hold, you get the kick, and then you're kind of – my eyes go back and forth between watching the live action from the booth and watching the TV monitor in front of me. You know, I like to watch the monitor to see if the ball's online. And then my eyes shift back to watching the live action, not on TV, but on the field to see if he's got the length on the kick. Because sometimes on TV that can be deceiving and, you know, that was no chip shot. So, uh, you know, you make the call. Now, this is complete name dropping, okay? I'm, I'm admitting this right now, All right. but it's, it's part, pertinent to the story. 
uh, Bill Vinovich. This is not, it's not the name dropping part, uh, <laughs> who is now back on the field as an NFL referee, had some health issues. And so before we had Mike Pereira traveling to the games to be with us in case there are any rules issues where he's in the booth in the postseason in a game like that, we had Bill Vinovich uh, in our booth. And I said, hey, Bill, during the course of the game, I've got a friend coming to the game, and she's probably going to sit back here by you. I'm just warning you, so, you know, carve out a little space. He's like, yeah, no problem. Well, the friend was Kate Hudson, and I've just become really good friends with her over the years. That's a complete name drop. I'm guilty. I get it. But at the end of the game, I walk back, and Vinovich grabs me by the shoulder, and he goes, he told me he had a friend coming. He didn't tell me it was going to be Kate Hudson. (laughs) I I thought that was hilarious at the time. Did you hear me, Don? Yeah, who would have thought? Uh, so that's season five of the sportscast, just kind of in a nutshell. Don, three guests appeared three times. You want to take a guess at who they might have been? Uh, Nobody appeared more than three. Lee Jenkins. No. 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 Lee Jenkins appeared twice. Uh, show number 18 and 36. I don't know. That was my first guest. It's got me thrown out. Richard Deitch, maybe? Nope. Richard Deitch also appeared twice, I believe. Hmm. No, you got me then. All right. You're going to... You're gonna, be bummed. You'll have to few on the table here. The Puck Daddy, Greg Wyshynski, oh, okay, yeah. appeared three times, episode 8, 19, and 37. Jeff Passan, the OG, appeared 13, 22, and 34. Really? And the surprise one is Katie Baker, oh, okay. who appeared 3, 21, and 33. Hmm. So. Do you remember why? I know one time was she covered, she covered the Eichel Women's World Cup. Buffalo. I know too, it was right? one of them. Um. Actually, I could probably. probably I mean, you don't have to look this. it up, but she she did the Eichel story right here, or like the Buffalo story. She did a a pretty long Buffalo story, yeah, and I yeah. think that's why we had her on the third time. Right. The third time was to talk to her about spending. She spent like a week here. Yeah, the third one was her her seventh appearance where she stayed in Buffalo uh, to talk about Pagula money, um, going to a Bills game, Buffalo's love with Jack Eichel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was the first one. Another one I know is the Women's World Cup. Mm. And the first one might have been, did we have Olympics last year? It would have been 2000. No. No? It's only, it's even number of years. Even years. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm not, I can't remember what her first appearance was for. Maybe just a hockey preview something. Yeah, maybe just hockey. Last year was forgettable for the Sabres. Last few years have been, so if it was hockey related. Yeah. Oh, it was actually she went to Green Bay. Uh, for a playoff game at Lambeau. Oh, cool. So we had her on for that. Um, what else was significant? Uh, I'll read all the debuts real quick. Ken Reed, John Hayden, R.D. Reynolds, Brian Alvarez, Anthony Cumia, Greg Polsky, Ryan Lambert, Mike Johnson, uh, Andrew Buckholz from Awful Announcing, uh, Mark Simon, Linda Cohn, Kevin Lieber, John Pessa wrote the book The Game, Molly Knight, Lana Berry, David DeSola, he wrote the Allison Chains book. Eddie Trunk, Joe Buck, Don Jameson, and Ryan Aber. Thanks for everything. It's even five, Don. Yeah, it's been awesome. We killed it. All right, let's take a break and come back and close this thing off. All right, I want to thank... All 63 guests that appeared on Season 5 of the Sportscasters, you can hear 
any of the interviews we did this year on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also hear the interviews on iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever podcasts are heard. You can also email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. I always reply to everyone who emails. Uh, thanks for all the feedback that I got this week on email. And, of course, you can tweet us. You can find me at sports underscore casters. Uh, you can find Don at Don Like Sports. And uh, before we sign off, here's one last thing from each of us. All right, my last thing this week, uh, this year, I guess, um, Christmas was last week, and we kind of got to do the Santa Claus thing for the first time. Now, my daughter's three, so we've done it before, but there wasn't like a whole lot of planning that went into it because we didn't think she was going to like find us out. And it's weird because you got to get like separate wrapping paper and you got to make sure that like the writing doesn't look like you don't want her to catch on to that. And the thing I thought was the weirdest was doing this stuff like when you do like you leave out the milk and cookies. Yeah, did you eat them? Uh, yes, we. I, Michelle must have drank the milk. I didn't, but uh, we ate the cookie. We, she made sure to leave crumbs everywhere. Like Santa Claus was a dirty eater. And the thing I thought was the weirdest was like we left a carrot for the reindeers or whatever. And she left, like, part of the carrot in the house. And I'm like... Reindeer well, woofed that down. Yeah, yeah, and, like, why would... Even if they left a piece of it, why would Santa bring it back into the house on a table? But Molly never called us on that. So, But we had a nice Christmas. Uh, she's kind of into it. I think next year will be the real year for her to be really into it. But uh, already not into clothes. She would open clothes and just whip them behind her back and look for, <laughs> which is good though, because the year before that you couldn't even get her to open all her gifts. She wanted to play with like the first one and that was it. But yeah, we had a nice time. Uh, it's cool with kids, and uh, that's it. I, I always remember being amazed that Santa Claus was at my house, like because I, I can remember believing, uh-huh. yeah, at least a little bit, sure. And I remember like you go to bed every night. And you hope that he came. Right. You assume he will because he had every, every year other before. Year. Right. But they parents kind of shape this to leave a little bit of doubt, right? Like, was I a good boy? Right, yeah. Um, and the first thing I would usually see is the gifts and the other thing was the snack. And, like, it would just blow my mind that I was upstairs sleeping and Santa Claus is downstairs <laughs> eating cookies and setting these <laughs> gifts up. Yeah. And I never once questioned how he had time to do that at every house in the world. Yeah. It just it worked out in my brain somehow with time zones and all that that he, Mo- he did it. Molly has a relationship. That's my oldest, uh, my daughter. She has a relationship with Santa where she's aware of him. She's aware he's a nice guy, but she's kind of afraid of him. So, like, she's not going to sit on his lap at the mall, but, like, if we walk by him at the mall, she'll wave to him and, uh. like, say hi. And I told her, like, two or three nights before Christmas, like, Christmas Eve, like, Christmas night, I'm like, just a few more nights and Santa's going to be here. And she's like, I don't want him to come into my room. And I'm like, why would Santa go into your room? She's like, I, I don't want to see him. I'm like... Okay, you don't have to worry about that, bud. But she's kind of freaked out about him. Well, isn't that a thing that you're supposed to tell him you can't see him? That isn't that how you get kids to go to sleep on Christmas? Well, yeah, he won't come. And in Santa will skip by your house. Yeah, yeah. So you got to use that. Yeah. But um, yeah, Santa. It's a weird one because I I grew up with it, and on the other end of it, and then doing it on this end, it feels a little bit like this seems weird. Like it's weird that we do this, but it's fun, I guess. As long as we don't have one of those kids, some kids grow up and they get real angry about it. Like, well, I can't believe you lied about this all this time. <laughs> I wasn't that kid, but uh, no, I wasn't either. What do you remember? How old you were when you found out? 
that he wasn't real. I don't know. I think I was around ten. I I don't think it was I like a, late or not. I don't think it was like a black and white thing. I think it's one of those things like where you I kind of start hearing rumblings at school. Kind of fades. Yeah. Then you find the presence. And, yeah, yeah. And they're wrapped up. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. All right, one last thing for season five. You know, I feel like we do this every year, but. Maybe Sunday was Drew Brees' last game as a Saint in the Superdome. Probably oh, yeah. not, but maybe. And maybe this Sunday is his last game in a Saints uniform. Maybe, but probably not. And I guess anytime you're 37 and you have a $30 million cap hit and your team has lost the last two years, you and your coach and anyone else are going to open up to questions about whether or not being a part of the team is the right thing to do. Of course it is. I want to take you back to August. Don, you're a big fantasy guy, right? Sure. What quarterback in August was unanimously, almost unanimously considered the biggest bust in fantasy football going into this year? The yeah. quarterback with the biggest bust potential. If it wasn't probably Peyton, it was Breeze for sure. Okay. And it was Breeze because why? What were the reasons? I think it was his receivers maybe. I don't know. It wasn't really age, right? Oh, because of his injury. Wasn't he hurt, banged up, something? We don't even know what the reasons could have been. Okay. Right? So I played right into that. Who knows what the reasons were? <laughs> okay. It just was because there's this perception that Drew Brees' time was up. Yeah. But my analysis of that was, but you don't watch Drew Brees. And I watch him every week, every play, right. every game. And I don't see what other people are claiming to perceive. And he went and he proved it again. He was less scary to me than Manning was. Brees hey. completed... About 65 to 68% of his passes this year. He's going to throw for just about 5,000 yards again. And over 30 touchdowns and only 11 picks. That's good. He's at a 3-1 to ratio for touchdowns to INTs. There's only two quarterbacks in fantasy who had more points than that. I don't want to get too much into a fantasy thing, but only Cam Newton and Tom Brady and under most scoring. Uh, would have more points than Breeze. That's, but, I mean, you and said Cam you Newton get, just barely more. You said you don't want to get too much into fantasy. I mean, that's why people know a lot of these guys. I mean, obviously Breeze is a household name, but I mean, that's what people pay attention to. That's why they assume maybe he was going to fall off. This, like you said, fantasy purposes. Right, and there was this perception last year that somehow Breeze was a fantasy bust, but stats didn't support it. But people had that perception because he did have a few weeks, especially on the road, including a game that was in a monsoon in Carolina where he didn't deliver fantasy-wise. But anyway, I'm sure he'll be a, a fantasy pick again next year, or wherever he plays. Yeah. Right. Uh, but it will be in New Orleans. I'm, I promise you that. Uh, the most obvious thing to help the Saints' salary cap situation is to give Drew Brees an extension and to make his $30 million cap hit last by giving him cash up front. And the organization has no problem doing that. Now, there is one report that I really want to question. And it's not about whether Drew Brees and Sean Payton will be here next year, because I think they will be. It's that there's people in the organization who claim that Drew Brees maximizing his contract situation last team has cost the team in depth, and it's hurt the team. Bull fucking shit. You know what's hurt this team? Contracts like Jarris Bird. Yeah. Okay, contracts like C.J. Spiller, who was a healthy scratch last week. So they could play Travis Cadet, who they picked up off the street, not even a week before. <laughs> right. It's Tim Hightower, who wasn't in the league. Those are the contracts that have hurt the Saints. Ju- uh, Junior Glutz contract, who's oh, no yeah. longer even on the team. 
Junior Gallette's contract, which will include $11 million of dead money next year, was so unattractive that they cut him for nothing before the season even started. Wasn't he in some trouble, too? Oh, oh yeah. Did he stay out of trouble this year? I don't remember. Oh, he was injured all year. Oh, okay. He blew his... uh, He got picked up by Washington, I think, and he ruptured his Achilles tendon. Look, those were the contracts that have hurt the Saints. Not the quarterback of the team getting paid. Okay? That hasn't hurt the Saints. That's the best money they spend every year. Right. He's the best guy on the team every year. He's the best guy in the organization every year. He's an ambassador for the team. What's their record without him? Like, historically? No, I mean, like, this year. Like if oh, he's oh not, and one, if he's, I guess? No, but I mean, if he's not there on that team, what's with that defense, what is their record? Oh, three and 13? Yeah. I mean, they won the one game because he threw seven touchdown passes. <laughs> right. Who, yeah, and he literally needed to throw seven All seven, yeah. Right. And he needed to bring the team down the field for a field goal in less than a minute right. to win the game. Right. Who else is going to throw seven touchdown passes? Not many guys. Right. Uh, it's ludicrous. Uh, I know. I understand they open up to it, and I don't mind stories uh, for me and Rappaport about, oh, I heard this or I heard that, whatever you heard. The story you should mind. But the story of like, oh, his contract has cost the team, that's ludicrous. Uh, wait, while you're on the same – Yeah. Doug Marone, as your coach, you want no part of that. Well, Doug Marone's had success there. Uh, he's a guy that um, – it, that's what's got to link his name. You know, though, he's, right? he's a guy that is familiar with Mickey Loomis and the organization, yeah. but Sean Payton's going to be the coach there. Come on. He, he better. Be. Let's be honest. Yeah. Why, why, Sean Payton doesn't count against a cap. Right. You know, why, he's under contract. Why would Sean Payton not be the coach? I don't know. I just saw that the other day that if Payton's not the coach for some reason, like, would he be the fall guy for this season? No, I think if there's ever going to be a fall guy, it's got to be Loomis. And I think anyway, the fall guy is the, uh, was Rob, Rob Ryan, Ryan anyway. Right. Uh, and I think that they've shown a little bit of progress, especially with turnovers uh, and less confusion. Uh, they're still out talented on the defensive side of the ball at times, right, right. Uh, but they've shown progress with Dennis Allen. So I think that that'll work. All right, Don. I made up a uh, a word uh, not too long ago. Okay. Uh, that I'm lead bettering. Oh. Okay. And that word means I'm ending it. Sounds good. Uh, so I'm ending season five of the Sportscasters. Mm-hmm. 